electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Thank you, Carl, and welcome to the Halftime Report, everybody. I'm Brian Sullivan, in for Scott Wapner today. And front and center this hour, we're going to get down and dirty with the real stuff, the industrials. The companies that actually make things. Well, they've been making investors some solid coin lately, and Wall Street says there is more to come. Industrials, the big names like GE, Honeywell, Boeing, Textron, and more. Some of the top stocks on the street lately. And guess what? There are four more bullish calls on some of these and other names in the space. We have got a lot to do. Joining us now for the hour, Stephanie Link. We got Jason Snipe, principal of Odyssey Capital Advisors, Mr. John Nigerian. And Josh Brown. All right, before we get to these calls, let us get a check on the macro markets because we're not booming. We're kind of just clawing our way higher. No huge gains, but the SP 500, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, healthcare, small caps, they are all hitting record highs today. Look at that. We are up about 0.1%. But if you're at a record and you go up even a small amount, it's a new record. Random but interesting. 51 stocks in the S&P 500, that's about 10%, have more than doubled in the past year. Wow. All right, lots to get to. So let us start with the industrials and those bullish calls. And first up, we have got Goldman Sachs out with General Electric, GE, calling it a top idea. They see 20% upside. They say, Stephanie Link, it is a free cash flow story. There it is. They think it's going to accelerate in the second half of the year. You own it. You've owned it for a while. Gotta imagine you love this call. <laughs> I do like this call. But I have been overweight industrials for a while, for over a year, actually. Um, and it's really a play on the recovery in the economy. And I believe, with more stimulus likely to come in terms of infrastructure, that the economy will stay strong. Maybe not as strong as we've seen in the first and second quarters of this year, but still very strong above trendline growth. Inventories are at record lows. These companies have pricing power. So the operating leverage is really substantial. So that's why I'm overweight. Net-net, though, I have been shifting. Even though I've owned GE for a very long time, I have been shifting more mid-cycle, late cycle, which is what this Goldman analyst is talking about. That's aerospace. That's also oil and gas and any of those companies that have exposure to those end markets. GE plays right into that. Uh, We don't even have a real new CEO anymore. I used to say that, but he's been there for a few years and he's really turning the ship and changing the culture. Um, He's shrinking the company to grow and be more nimble, focusing on what they do really well, which has always been aerospace and healthcare. And they've been making some tuck-in acquisitions as well. So you're right. Free cash flow on the analyst. Which is all uh, which is all of what this is all about. Um, and I think that you're going to see free cash flow yeah. recover in the second half of the year, two point five to four billion or so. And then you could get to seven billion in the next several uh, years, which is very encouraging. So I'm still on board and I will stay on board. OK, let me ask you the world's worst question, Stephanie, because GE spent years growing, growing, growing. 
Now, under Lawrence Culp, the new yeah. C- new-ish CEO, they are shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. You talked about oil and gas. You talked about aerospace. So just quickly, what is, to you, GE? Is it an aerospace company that makes some other stuff? What is it? Yeah, no, that's their strength for sure. But healthcare is also their strength. And as you know, Larry Culp came from Danaher, which was all about healthcare. So he knows what he's doing in these two areas. You need power and renewables to actually stabilize. And I think you will as you see the global economies recover. Uh, but aerospace is what it's all about. Um, and uh, obviously, they're one of the largest engine suppliers to Airbus and uh, Boeing. So it's an exposure there as well. All right, Jason Snipe, go to you because look, we just talked about GE, and I know Honeywell's going to hate this. They kind of call them the, the mini GE in a way. For years, they were just kind of lumped together. You seem to prefer Honeywell over GE. Does that mean you don't like GE or just maybe Honeywell looks like a better value to you? Yeah, for me, you know, Honeywell is just a preference play. You know, I, I look at Honeywell as a technology company that performs in the manufacturing space. So they have clearly underperformed uh, this year up of only about 2%. But I really like, you know, what they've done with air filtration, you know, in the, in plane, in the cabins of planes and in buildings, helping people get back to work safely. And I just think the whole space is really going to benefit from CapEx, enterprise spend coming back, you know, and, and just a healthy consumer and a healthy, healthier economy and environment. So Honeywell is definitely my choice here. And they, you know, again, on the diversified product line, you know, I I really like the name here. Yeah. And you you talk about, uh, Jason, you talk about healthy economy. Well, all those tens of billions of dollars going to schools to reopen for COVID, they're being paid out over the next eight years. A lot of people don't realize that that money is going to be spent between now and 2028. I am seeing a lot of HVAC right? Heating, air conditioning, and air filtration systems being put in over the next decade. A lot of those probably going back to Honeywell. That is going to be a 10-year backlog. Easy. No doubt about it. I mean, for me, even anecdotal uh, data, just traveling and just all, all the talks about, you know, as I was on the planes, just, you know, about the clean air, you know, in the system and the air filtration system. So I think that's going to be huge. And, and of course, getting people back to work safely is going to be a major theme, you know, going into the second half of this year. And obviously, you know, for years to come, as we look at this infrastructure deal uh, to be consummated soon and, you know, what that will mean for the industry yeah. and sector as a whole. The first round of school board spending plans, by the way, don't even have to be submitted until 2024. Anywho, John Nigerian, GE, back to that, the calls, what you do, the options, my friend. You've owned them for a while. As you've said, they've been monster. Are you yep. still holding them? Yes, I am, uh, Brian. Uh, I still love it. Um, this one has hit repeatedly. And uh, even though it's a relatively cheap stock, $13, uh, people do play the derivatives on it uh, virtually every day. Right now, Brian, uh, the aggressive buys are all the way up to the 16 strike in July. That's a pretty good move for GE, which generally moves like an iceberg. But in the recent past, GE has had some really nice moves. And obviously, people are betting in the short term that it does have one of those nice moves between now and, uh, you know, basically two and a half weeks from now. Uh, I, I'm right along with them. I'm in the 12 calls. 
they're slightly in the money, about a dollar in the money. And I'm looking for us to push through 14 and towards that 16 level. And, of course, I'd be delighted, as would Steph, if we got to 16 in July. <laughs> well, that's the price target on the Goldman call, about 20% upside. Josh Brown, you have an opinion on GE, Honeywell, any of the financial or industrials or any company kind of surrounds those halos. Honeywell, Honeywell looks great. Outstanding performer. It's, it's obviously had six-month periods over the last 10 years where it's underperformed whatever given index. But if you look at the long-term trend, this is a stock that um, I know fundamentally they're delivering because I can tell on price. This stock is consistently under accumulation, very rarely in a downtrend. GE is a hot mess, definitely a different story. I don't think it's <laughs> bad here. Uh, 12.89. Uh, 1290, that, that area seemed to have been the breakout. It was a false breakout back in February. Stock got cut in half when it failed. It's gained all of that ground back after some, some uh, this is, this is, excuse me, February of 2020. So over the last year, it's gained all of that ground back. Looks a little bit better. It looks like it's having a little bit of trouble at that old $1290, $13 area of resistance. So let's see it convincingly break out on volume. The problem is that's not what's happening beneath the surface. When I look at uh, RSI, 14-day RSI, it's, it's, it's about a 40 on this breakout. So that's what the technicians would tell you is a negative divergence. The momentum is not confirming price. So one of two things has to happen. Either all of a sudden people get really excited about GE, that RSI line swings up, volume picks up, and you say, okay, this breakout of $13 is real, or uh, what, what looks more likely to me at this point is this rally fails and uh, the, the breakout turns out not to have been the real thing. So I'm going to trust Stephanie Link with the fundamental side of this. She's done uh, a lot more work than most people. She's been involved with the story for a long time. She knows it better yeah. than most. I'm giving you what the buyers and sellers are actually doing, and just yet they don't seem to be convinced there's a breakout here. I don't want to risk my capital until the breakout looks a lot more legit, um, both above the surface Just, and beneath. And Josh, one more quick thing. It's sort of GE related. Let's not forget that GE has got a reverse stock split, a reverse split, one for eight. August 2nd is the date. It's effective a couple days before then. They want to align. They say the stock. I think they want to raise the price, obviously, make it look a little more attractive. Does that kind they of want to stuff stop looking like matters? losers? I think that's a smart. I think that's a smart move. Listen, it doesn't affect the, the fundamentals of the company. Right now, the when when you look at GE, it looks like a loser stock for loser investors, and it has been. It's underperformed everything. This is actually one of the worst large caps you could have possibly bought over the last ten to fifteen years. They want to change that narrative, and that's what they should do. I don't have a problem with the reverse split. Typically, I'm not a fan of gimmicks. I don't like like companies say, oh, we're going to split the stock to make it more marketable to investors. I'm with Buffett on that. But in this particular case, I do think it makes sense to wipe the slate clean. You got new people running the company who seem to know what they're doing. You have a company that looks nothing like what it did 10 years ago when this slide began. Right. They've gotten rid of some businesses. They focus more heavily on others. So I actually don't hate that move. I think it'll bring some respect back uh, to, to this name. And, and maybe that's the catalyst that this needs to have a, a, a really convincing breakout.
Yeah, try try not to look like you said a loser stock. One freight reverse split effective well, it, it August second on GE. By the way, but yeah, I agree. Listen, we agree when this. you got a single digit price like it did for a while for the for the it's GE shouldn't be trading for, the, for eight the, bucks for the people for the people that came on the network over and over again and told you that ETFs yeah. and indexing and passive investing were the reason for market distortions. And it, they were just pushing up the biggest stocks. GE is the be- and Exxon are the two best examples for why that argument is total BS. Because these were uh, the <clears throat> number one and two largest companies in the world seven or eight years ago. And they both are now shadows of their former selves. So if all of this index money were truly distorting the market and just pushing up the largest stocks, explain to me how GE yeah. could be $12.00. Explain Brian. to me how Exxon Brian, could have just, lost eighty percent of its market cap. Quickly, jump in here. Yep, Steph. I, well, I'm just saying the stock's up 20% year-to-date. It's beating most industrials. It was up 58% last year. So it all depends on when you get into a stock, for sure, right? But I, was in the, I got in it in the, sing, in the single digits. I'm happy that I did. I think the thesis is playing out very nicely. And I think from here, you can see at least some visibility as to how they're going to get earnings, how they're going to get free cash flow, and all that sort of thing, led by a very strong leader. So, yes, it's been a real uh, downer for the last several years. But in the last year, year and a half, it hasn't been. So. So it all depends on your timing. Yeah. Well, and also I just want to let our viewers know that as of August 2nd, it's going to be like $120 or whatever stock all of a sudden overnight. Don't get excited. It's a one for eight reverse split. Something to know. All right. We got to move on. Good discussion there on one of America's arguably most important and controversial companies lately. All right. Another call. This one on FedEx. Bank of America adding FedEx to its US one, kind of its top picks list. They say the tailwinds are building. They also like the fact John Nigerian at FedEx is trading at a big discount to UPS as well, about 13 times forward earnings. UPS is about eight times. You got B2B business to business, not just business to consumer coming back as well. Do you see pricing power even with higher oil and thus higher gas prices coming down the pike? You bet, Brian, um, because, of course, um, the the uh, the issue for uh, inflation from the business side is can you pass it on to the consumer? And quite obviously, FedEx can, UPS can, DHL. I mean, you name it. Any delivery company can. Why? Because there's such demand. They're leapfrogging each other with containers for container ships. Um, some of that's because of the backup that happened in the Suez Canal. Some of that's because of what happened um, in the port of Los Angeles and uh, Long Beach with, you know, 80 or over 100 ships waiting to be unloaded. Uh, And then they got to make that trip back over to China, get refilled and brought back. People are, when I say leapfrogging, they're saying, well, that container that used to be several thousands of dollars is now in the tens of thousands of dollars. They're leapfrogging the people who thought they'd secured that container um, if you didn't have a hard and fast contract and you weren't um, the long term holder of those uh, spaces on those ships, Brian, you can't get them. And so the ultimate pricing power right now is things that people can't get. And for the most part, those are chips. They can't get enough chips. Every automaker has told us that everybody in tech and, of course, yeah. anything that moves from overseas back to the United States. You just can't get enough 
of that. Um, some of it because of those factors that I mentioned, others of it because uh, there's just uh, a, a demand that is almost insatiable right now. I, 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 you appear to be in the Suez Canal right now, John and Jerry. And so do some on-the-ground reporting about how traffic <laughs> is going there on the on the boat canal. <laughs> Stephanie Link. Yeah, FedEx, I'm in uh, Croatia. UPS. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to uh, the soccer team, by the I way. I have owned uh, both. You, li- you I like own, FedEx? I own both of oh. Um, I've owned both of them in the past. I don't own them. I don't own either of them. They've been good performers. Um, before the quarter, FedEx was up 17 percent, but still traded a reasonable 17 multiple. My problem with them is that they're they're kind of like you don't really know how, what their strategy is with with their express business. And they bought TNT in 2016. They still haven't been able to get that together. Right. And there's really limited synergies. And, and we don't even really know the strategy. So so on that one, you know, I think I'd take a pass just because it's had a nice run on UPS. I think the new CEO is doing a marvelous job. Uh, it's just a little rich for me at 23 times forward. But if it, of the two, UPS is my is, is the one I would uh, prefer. All right. Good discussion there on some of the industrials, particularly GE. But let's move on to an area that's actually related to what we just talked about, and that is air travel. It is back in a big way. Four of the past five days have seen more than two million people get on a plane in the United States. And United Airlines is bulking up to get ready for even a greater boom coming. United announcing the largest aircraft order in its history and the largest by any airline in America in at least a decade. CNBC's Phil LeBeau joining us now with more. Phil, what can you tell us about the order? It's a huge one, Brian, and behind me is one of the 737 uh, Maxes that has been updated. The interior has been updated. That's a big part of the story today from United. Let's talk about the plane order. 270 aircraft. What does that mean? 200 of them will be 737 Maxes. Most of those, by, will be, by the way, will be the largest version, the Max 10. Then you've got 70 Airbus A321neos. They are also going to be replacing 200 of the regional jets, which really a lot of people are not crazy about, those will be replaced by larger mainline jets. This is what it's all about, bringing down the age of the fleet for United Airlines. It has long had the oldest fleet age, and that is going to be changing over the next several years. Almost 17 years old, that's the average age for an airplane for United Airlines. And as I mentioned, upgrading the interiors of all of their narrow body planes is a big part of this with seatback entertainment, larger bins, more premium seats. Here's CEO Scott Kirby talking with us this morning on Squawk Box. We had to actually create the product that customers want. And that's really what this is about, is giving the customers the product that they want. Because we're already in the biggest cities in the country. Our hubs are in the best places in the country. But we needed to create the product that customers will choose to fly United Airlines. As you take a look at shares of United Airlines, keep in mind that they're going to be adding, in total, about 500 new airplanes into the fleet between now and 2025. They'll also be creating about 25,000 new jobs. And we also want to show you shares of General Electric. Why? Because the CFM Leap 1B, that is the engine on the 737 MAX. And again, United ordering 200. These are not options, Brian. These are not, you know, an order that they placed a while ago and they said, yeah, we'll take them. This is a fresh order. Good news not only for Boeing, but also for GE and really everybody connected with the MAX program. Guys, back to you. Very cool. And I know later on in the day, you're going to show us some of these new interiors, which we certainly appreciate. 
All right, John Nigerian, you own United Airlines calls. We just talked about GE. Also, by the way, as a big guy lives in Chicago, you got to love the fact they're getting rid of those little regional jets. The only reason I've ever taken yoga is so I can use the restroom on one of those things. This is good news all around for United, <laughs> but is it good news for the shareholders? It is. It's good news for the shareholders. It's great news for Boeing, Brian. Um, you know, obviously Airbus got 70 aircraft out of it, as Phil said. But yeah, great news for um, United. Uh, Americans got some orders out there as well. Uh, those regional jets, you're absolutely right. I think many of us were frustrated over the last year. Um, I put in over, I guess, 210,000 miles in the last uh, year and a half. And that's split between United and American. And the fact that you had to ride on so many of those small jets, long flights, some of them three hours plus, um, was just ludicrous. Uh, they needed to make yeah. this upgrade. They're making this step, and they will get a lot of reward for it, I think, from the frequent flyers. And that's it. Yeah, you, you, guys like you, maybe, you know, squeezing back onto United plane because the newer planes. Just very quickly, Stephanie Link. You're long Boeing. You've been long Boeing for a while. Are you going to sell on the news or just keep owning it? No, just keep owning it. This is probably better news for United on pricing. Um, so we don't know that detail. But it's, it's further confirmation that companies want the 737 MAX, uh, that it's fixed and that they want it. That's the whole point, right? It should help free cash flow as well going forward. Yeah. Um, but it does validate the, the, the narrow body strategy of the company, of Boeing, the company. <clears throat> All right. Good stuff there. Let's move on now. Very quickly, talk about oil and gas. You've got a big OPEC plus meeting, by the way, on Thursday. We'll see if they're going to say they're going to add 500,000 to a million barrels to the market. Price of oil at 72 and change. A lot of jet fuel being used out there, about 35 percent of all crude oil used to refine jet fuel products. But let's talk about the oil and gas stocks. Jason, I'll come to you. Tom Lee has pointed this out. If you look at a five or 10 year chart of the price of oil at 74 bucks, the last time it was at $74, the OIH, oil and gas ETF, one of them anyway, was at 500 bucks. It's at 222. In other words, there's either a giant disconnect between the oil and gas stocks and the price of oil, or the market doesn't believe that oil is going to stay up here. Where do you fall in this? Do you own any oil, gas, energy stocks? What? Yeah, it's a good question. So obviously oil, I think, is a proxy for all energy stocks. And for us, you know, we've owned XLE, uh, we've market weight there. It's been a good trade for us this year. To be quite honest with you, you know, we've, we've found opportunities in other places, you know. Um, so for us, energy has just been a trade. We also uh, participate in ICLN, which is a clean energy ETF, which is obviously un underperformed the market this year is down about 15%. I think that's been more about, you know, it's those high beta growth names that have struggled a bit this year. And yeah. Obviously got a bid since mid-May. But, you know, that's how we've kind of played the oil, the oil trade this year. Yeah, and Josh Brown, let's not forget that a lot of pension funds, a lot of institutions, a lot of colleges, their endowments, they can't own these stocks. They literally were forced to sell them because they're not ESG. They dump them out. I mean, is their loss somebody else's gain or are you not touching them as well? I, I don't speculate in commodities. It's not my strength. I'm not really interested in uh, 19th century technologies, generally speaking. Um, the OIH is particularly odious to long-term investors. In 2014, that index was 1150. Um, by the early part of 2020, it had fallen to uh, 
under 100. So that's a 95% drawdown in, uh, in six years. If you're, if you're an investor, you look at that and you say, why would I ever invest in a segment of the economy that could lit- or, or segment of the stock market that could literally have almost 100% drawdown? And that's in an index. So you can make a ton of money trading the energy space. If you're a trader, you should be in this space. These stocks are, have been red hot. Uh, they've been acting very well. But as a long-term investor, when you say the word energy, it should be about more than just oil. Oil's a part of energy. You really need to be thinking bigger, especially now in 2021, as all of these other alternative technologies begin to catch up in terms of cost effectiveness. So you need to be looking at solar. You need to be looking at wind. You need to be thinking bigger picture and have oil and gas just be a part of that uh, portfolio, not be the way that you're expressing um, a bullish view on energy use. Yeah. Well said. The broader mix here. Josh Brown, no doubt short. The Nantucket Whaling and Lantern Oil Corporation shares. Josh Brown, thank you very much. All right. We have got a lot more to do on the committee's latest moves coming up. Plus, it is the CNBC Financial Advisor Summit. It's underway right now. And Becky Quick just wrapping up a conversation with Leon Cooperman. We'll bring you those highlights coming up. And just a reminder, if you're out there like John and Jerry and hopping on a plane somewhere and you want to listen or watch live on the go, check out the CNBC app. Download it today. We are seeing the Dow at 56 points. Oil up a little bit as well. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Well, there is a lot of investment committee moves that are happening today and this week. Let's get right to them. And start with Josh. Josh, a big sell for you. You have completely sold out of Zoom video. Yeah, so I got into Zoom before it was cool in, uh, in 2019. No idea that it would actually become one of the most essential software tools on the planet the following year because of a pandemic. So I think most of the gains I had in this stock came from luck, not skill. However, up more than 400% and not really seeing a catalyst anytime soon for why there's going to be another step change in, in this company's valuation. So it's $114 billion on trailing revenue of $3.2 billion. Uh, it's been expensive for a long time, but I just see other opportunities that are a little bit more exciting to me. So I still think Zoom's okay. 
seems to have bottomed in May, forming a nice little uptrend after the, after the last earnings report. I don't have an yeah. issue with the company or the stock. I just want to be liquid for other opportunities. Well, Josh, quickly, you printed money. You said other opportunities. Can you give us an idea what else you might be buying into with all the money you made on Zoom? I will. <laughs> now, that's a tease. They, that, I don't know if he will later on in the show or some other show down the line. Josh Brown, no, I'm interested now. I'm just, Stephanie, I, I, got a, I, got other things, I got other things, but not, not quite at this moment. Not quite. Well, that's good tea. It's good stuff here because you made a lot of money. Got in before, before the pandemic and lockdowns hit. I'm sure you were up what they, a lot, I think is the technical term. Uh, Stephanie, everybody's saying yeah. they're supposed to be buying hotels now, right? The reopening trade. You're selling Marriott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was buying it last year and I'm up 62 percent in the past year. So I just took profits. I have plenty of reopen, by the way, Brian. Plenty. Um, I added McDonald's. It's kind of acts like a staple stock and I kind of wanted some stability in the portfolio. But it's also a reopen name. It's lagged uh, year to date, only up 7 percent. And the fundamentals are actually really solid. Uh, they made menu changes and they're simplifying it. They benefit from drive throughs 95% of their U.S. stores are dr- have drive throughs in them. That's very positive. Uh, the digital enhancement that they're making, they put a ton of money into the technology. And uh, delivery is now 75% within the system. So I think they're going to continue to do well. And it's a, a reopened name with a little less beta. So with, oh, by the way, very strong free cash flow growth. And from the proceeds there, unless you're going to leave us hanging like Josh, you bought what? Well, I bought McDonald's. So I sold Marriott, bought McDonald's. I actually also uh, trimmed Fortinet. I mean, that stock's up 124% since November alone. I'm still overweight the name. I still like cybersecurity, total addressable market and all that stuff. I actually added to Amazon. I'm, so I'm now overweight Amazon. I've owned Amazon for a very long time, but I've been market weight. It's been a laggard, 5% year to date in terms of performance. We all know about the retail e-commerce. I'll spare you. AWS, we know they're doing quite well, uh, and, they're, and they're the leader. They will remain the leader. I think the adver- digital advertising is kind of overlooked, uh, underappreciated. Total addressable market is $160 billion. Yeah, in, and digital advertising, and they only have a 6% share. And the reason this is important is because it carries huge mm. margins, gross margins of 80%, um, and, uh, and operating margins of 40%. So it, it's, it's going to be um, certainly something to watch in the coming years as they gain share. Selling hotels and cybersecurity and buying Big Macs and pretty much everything else that Amazon does sell, including a vinyl subscription service announced today. Steph, thank you. John, let's move on to you. Uh, SoFi, <laughs> Financial. You, you bought the calls. What about it is so interesting to you on this one? Well, um, it was just because of the extreme flow, uh, Brian, in that stock. Um, we bought the calls yesterday when they were 40 cents. They were calls that expire this coming Friday, uh, July 2nd. And obviously, we're leading into a holiday weekend. So um, I think volumes will be lighter as we get there. So you have to take your profits quick. This one jumped from $19 to 21. Those calls were at the 19 strike. We paid 40 cents. They mm. went to $2. So that's five, a quick four or five hundred percent, depending on how you calculate it, Bri. And uh, that that'll yeah. do. That that'll do. <laughs> so um, and I I did put that into a stock that I will tell you about on unusual option activity because I put it into a defense stock, Brian. 
everybody's just teasing everything today. Nobody will say anything. They're like, just tune in later. It's like you guys are just too good. You're too good at television. All right, we're going to get all that coming up. Let's get right now the headlines outside the world of money and business for now. Hopefully somebody who will actually tell us what's going on. John Fort. John. I will actually give you the headlines, Brian. I am John Fort. Here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Residents of the collapsed condo in Surfside, Florida, were warned in April that structural damage to the building had gotten significantly worse. The New York Times reports the president of the condo association sent the warning as part of an explanation for why repair costs for the building had risen so much. On the news tonight, the autopsy that is being performed on the building to find out what brought it down and a chat with the top engineer who is leading that effort. And the top U.S. general in Afghanistan warning of deteriorating security in that country. He says a rapid loss of districts around the country to the Taliban is worrying. This as American troops continue to withdraw from Afghanistan. And federal highway regulators have ordered car makers to report crashes involving vehicles with advanced driver assist systems. Companies will have one day to alert regulators after they learn of a crash. And Tesla's Model 3 is once again a top pick at Consumer Reports. The car lost the top rating in May after changing some warning systems. Consumer Reports says testing of the changes has proven their effectiveness. Brian, back to you. All right, John Ford, thank you very much. All right, well, we have still got a lot to do here on Halftime. And coming up, John Nigerian will reveal his latest trades and that mystery stock. He just teased an unusual activity all coming up straight ahead. We are back with the NASDAQ up at a new record high right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Time now for one of the more mysterious, unusual activity sessions in a while. John Nigerian, what are you seeing? What are you buying? <laughs> well, two stocks, Brian. Uh, first one, uh, KR, uh, I'm sorry, Kratos. KTOS. Um, this one, we saw unusual activity in the July 30 calls with the stock just over $29. So I, as I said, pulled money off the table on that SoFi trade, put half of it in this trade, and then half of it in this second trade. Sounds kind of similar. And it is CRTO. Um, this one's uh, shopping analytics and so forth. These are October calls. They were buying the October 4750s with the stock right around $45. I'll be in that one several months, Brian. The other one, probably two weeks. And I love both those plays for the short term and for the long term. And both stocks not only done well recently, but they're doing well today as well. Criteo and Kratos. Sounds like something you might see around Croatia. Yes, John and Jerry, thank you. All right. <laughs> you know, don't sail between those two. We are back with Becky and some of the comments and highlights from the Financial Advisor Summit and her conversation with Leon Cooperman. You won't want to miss that. It is coming up next right here on the Halftime Report.
Well, not big gains, but any gain is another new record, and so new record highs for the NASDAQ and S&P 500 today. Well, it is another big day right here on CNBC because our Financial Advisor Summit is happening right now. And Squawk Box superstar Becky Quick just speaking with Omega's Leon Cooperman and joins us now with some of the highlights. I heard it was a very wide-ranging convo. What are some of the key takeaways, Becky? Well, it was fun. And Brian, by the way, I should say you're our very own Iron Man. I remember seeing you more than six hours ago on the air, too. You know, Lee Cooperman is a man with lots of opinions, and luckily for us, he's willing to share them. Straight out of the gate, he said that he has two very strong opinions right now. Number one, he would not touch U.S. government bonds with a 10-foot pole because the 10-year yield right now is 1.5%. That stinks. And number two, he said he has a strong feeling that this cycle won't end well He just has no idea when it ends. That's why he describes himself as a fully invested bear. You have to be in this market, at least for now, given the Fed's extraordinarily accommodative stance. So what does he like? Well, for starters, he likes some of the big tech names. Frankly, the FANG market, things like Google, which I own, Facebook, which I own, Amazon, which I own, uh, uh, Microsoft, which I own, they're not expensive against today's interest rates. Cooperman says the Fed is pushing him and everybody else much further out on the risk curve. And that makes him nervous, at least when he looks at the longer term picture. He says he's not ready to abandon ship just yet. But I asked him what signs he would be watching and what signals would lead him to put one foot out the door when it comes to equities. It is a long list. I would watch the dollar exchange rate uh, uh, very closely. I would watch Fed speak. I would watch economic performance. I would watch the craziness in the market, you know, Bitcoin and stuff like that, the, 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 the Mimi stocks, you know, the speculation is taking place. The, the market structure is like totally broken, totally broken. And we're not spending any time. The way stocks trade is very unnatural. One more thing, Bitcoin. Uh, Brian, he said he didn't want me to ask him about Bitcoin, and then he immediately proceeded to tell me his opinion on Bitcoin anyway. He said he heard someone say recently that if you don't understand Bitcoin, that means you're old. Then he said he's old and he doesn't understand it. Brian, back over to you. Well, I'm old-ish, and I'm not sure I understand it either, and I've met a lot of 25-year-olds that don't fully understand it as well. Uh, Becky Quick, a great conversation there with Leon Cooperman. We'll see you tomorrow morning on Squawk Box as well. Becky, great stuff there. The Financial Advisors Summit happening right now. Uh, Jason, you got to like the comments from Leon Cooperman, not, maybe not about Bitcoin, but about tech, Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Cooperman's comments here. You know, with the yield curve flatter and yields lower, you know, growth has gotten a bit since mid-May, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Obviously, we've seen inflows in mega cap tech. You know, we've seen Microsoft over two trillion in market cap last week for the first time ever, and Facebook over a trillion in market cap this week. So, I think the I think the growth story continues, especially with rates where they are right now. And 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 a lot of these names, their, their multiples have come in some, so they're not quite as expensive as they were. Yeah, and his, certainly his comments about the broader markets likely and uh, able to get more attention as well. Jason, thank you very much. All right. Well, there is so much more happening on CNBC tonight as well. And Becky will take you back inside one of the most successful business partnerships of all time, if not the most. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger speaking with Becky, and they talk about everything from their 60-year friendship, the first deals they did together, what they say makes Berkshire stand out for the pack, 
and so much more. It is called Buffett and Munger, A Wealth of Wisdom, and it prepares tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as well. You will definitely, definitely want to catch that. All right, well, most of the nation's biggest banks are raising their dividends after passing Federal Reserve stress tests. We're going to get some top picks in the banks and financial sector from your investment committee as well. That's coming up next on Halftime. Dow 41, we'll see you in two minutes. All right, welcome back. Well, many big banks getting the green light from the Federal Reserve. They are set to pay out an extra $2 billion bucks in quarterly dividends. Stephanie, you got the most exposure here. I think it's B of A, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley. You're getting paid out, but do you like the optics of this, or would you rather have them invest back in their own business? No, I mean, I like the I like the optics. I mean, you're going to have yields of something like 3% for many of these companies. The average bank increased their dividends by 33%. That's really, really impressive. But I think that we're seeing a sell on the news kind of thing. The stocks have run quite a bit. I mean, Wells Fargo is a 50% year-to-date. Alone, the XLF is up quite nicely as well uh, year-to-date. So they've outperformed. But look, I think this was kind of anticlimactic in a way. We know the banks have an- ample capital. They have more capital than they did back in December, last stress test, right? So they've proven they can survive a pandemic pandemic and they could withstand economic turmoil. And that's what the, the, the regulators wanted to see. Um, so I think the real winner is Morgan Stanley, Wells Fargo, in my, in my opinion. But I also think Goldman was fine. JP Morgan was a little bit better. USB was a little bit better, all on the dividend front. I think Morgan Stanley should be up more. It's actually lagged Goldman by 10 yeah. percentage points year to date. I love their diversification strategy. And they just doubled the dividend. You know, Wells did the same in terms of doubling it. But those are the only two. And they're real standouts to me. Just needs to get a little more love there from shareholders, to your point. All right, John Nigerian, the other Morgan, J.P. Morgan, you own the shares. You also own calls and several other banks. What banks do you like right now? Um, I like Capital One a lot uh, because of their exposure to a different consumer um, than I think J.P. Morgan hits. Uh, and that, quite frankly, their credit card uh, penetration has been fabulous, Brian. Um, and I, I, I think this sector uh, is going to continue to reward you, just like Stephanie said. They're moving up from two and a third percent interest or uh, dividend yield, rather, towards that three percent number. And I think, you know, if you're somebody who does write options against it, you can easily take that into the double digits. And in this environment, I think a double digit return for banks that are as strong as these banks are with these balance sheets, I think it's a gift. So, yeah, love those, love PayPal, love Square, but I trade those. I mainly own J.P. Morgan and Capital One. Okay, the very, yeah, very different. By the way, we had a Capital One recommendation this morning, a worldwide exchange, cheap plug, 5 a.m. Eastern time. John, thank you. All right, coming up, it's probably your favorite segment of the show, and that is your questions getting ready to be answered. There may be some time. You can email us at halftime.cnbc.com. We're back. Your questions and their answers next. All right, welcome back. Time now for the investment committee to answer some of your questions. Let's kick it off for a question for Josh Brown. Josh, Russ in Florida says, this is a question for Josh. For the first half of the year, you suggested IYR. That is a real estate ETF in anticipation of inflation. Do you continue to look at IYR as a core play for the second half of the year? 
Uh, great question, Ross. Yes, real estate is a, it, real estate is a core holding for every investor in their public equity portfolio. In fact, Standard & Poor's made REITs its own uh, sector of the market a couple of years ago. So there were 11 sectors. So you do have to own REITs. And the good news is, if you own REITs, you are getting, I think, the best inflation hedge that exists known to mankind. It's the only one that's consistently worked. Commercial real estate is a great inflation hedge. It should be a part of your portfolio. Josh, thank you for that. All right, Stephanie, next up is to you. Miles in Chicago, hi, Miles, says Twitter's stock has been on a pretty hot run. Do you see a slowdown for Twitter stock anytime soon? No, I don't, because it's still down 11% from its March highs because they disappointed in their quarter in terms of user growth. But they actually have just rolled out a whole bunch of subscription services. Um, And they have a whole digital platform as well. And they will benefit from digital advertising. So I really do like this story for the long term. I actually bought it when it was down about 32%. So it's recovered nicely, but I'm going to still hang on to it. Hanging on. All right, next question is for Jason. Phil in New Jersey asks, would you buy shares of Walmart at this price? Yeah, so obviously Walmart's been a laggard this year, down about 4%. I think they're going to benefit in the second half from return to work, return to school, return to everything. So um, I think they'll also benefit from a healthy consumer. So it's a buy for me here. Yeah, return to everything. The RTE trade, I like that, Jason. I'm going to steal that. All right, thank you all for that. Thank you for your questions. Final trades. Next up on Halftime. All right, final trade time, and we had to say goodbye to John. So you three getting a little bit more time. And by the way, Stephanie Link, we'll start with you. you got to be happy. Morgan Stanley, the third best performer in the S&P 500 right now. Yeah, and I think there's more to go. Like I said, it's lag Goldman by 10 percentage points for reasons I have no idea. I love the diversification strategy. I should have put this as my final trade. This could be one of them. And then Emerson Electric. It's a hidden energy play. New CEO. Orders are inflecting higher. And we are going to see margin expansion from all the restructurings that the company has done over the last several years. It's been a laggard. And so I kind of lump this in with my GE uh, ownership. Oh, yeah. Uh, the A block of the show. They're talking a lot about the industrials. All right, Jason, final trade time. What's yours? So I'm going to go with Morgan Stanley here. I agree with Steph. Double on the yield. Oh. Uh, healthy buyback. You know, really like the stock, really like the diversified investment banks. You know, obviously Goldman's up 42 percent, but Morgan Stanley is up 30 plus, And I think they have some room to run for the second half of this year. Guys making James Gorman very happy today with the doubling up on MS. Josh Brown, finalize it with the final trades. Here's a REIT that I'm invested in, Simon Property Group. I think it's worth at least 150, if not more. They said they're doing better now than they were pre-pandemic. Dividend hike of almost 8% after second quarter earnings. I think you need to own this thing if you, if you own any REITs. Good stuff. Emerson, Morgan, Stanley, Simon Property, thanks to you all. And thanks to you all for tuning in to Halftime Report. I'll see you tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. on Worldwide Exchange. But The Exchange with Kelly Evans begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.